0: let's get your Bible out we're going to be looking this morning and in the weeks to come in fact the next uh, five weeks here on um, a topic that we call the return we're going to be looking today at first Thessalonians chapter 1 and uh, and let me just kind of parenthetically every time we talk about the return or the book of Revelation or the second coming there's a lot of interest in people's hearts and there should be um, there's a lot of questions about Christ's return when and how and where and there's a lot of theological paradigms that have been constructed to talk about eschatology and the realities of when Jesus is coming and pre and post and mid and all that kind of stuff. You all know what I'm talking about. Um, Our intent during this month is not to get down in the weeds of all that. How many of you know, this is what we do know. Jesus Christ is coming again. Wait, that was pretty weak. Jesus Christ is coming again. All right. Now, now I want you to tell me again. This is not fairy tale stuff. Why do we know that? The Bible tells us, but that's nice too because people say, "Well, the Bible, blah blah blah." Why do we believe the Bible? We can go okay. Yes, the Bible tells us, but the Bible tells us about a, an historical event. Starts with an R. The resurrection from the dead. How I many of you know? Part of the reason the Bible's true is Jesus Christ, one human being. In his life, in his body, in his real-time living, fulfilled over 300 prophecies. How many of you know that's amazing? It's staggering. It's numerically impossible. It's off the charts crazy. How many of you know he lived a sinless life? How many of you know he prophesied his own death and how it would happen? How many of you know he told, he told he would rise from the dead three days later? And how many of you know he did it? Does he have anybody's attention yet? Matt, would you, believe, would you believe somebody that stood before you after living before you perfect life, healing the sick, casting out devils, and then said, oh, by the way, they're going to kill me, they're going to put me in the ground. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And then I'm standing before you after you watch me beaten beyond recognition, nailed to a cross, put in a tomb, guards surrounding, and we're having a conversation about what the kingdom of God is like. Do you think you might be a believer? All right? My point is the resurrection separates the men from the boys. The resurrection establishes forever Jesus Christ as Lord and King. And if you believe that Jesus was true regarding the resurrection from the dead, how many of you know you need to believe what he said about everything else? And he also said, as sure as I rose from the dead, I'm coming back. So we need to be prepared for his coming. And you know, we ended last week on our series on finishing well. We ended by focusing on the finish line. What was the finish line that Paul put before Timothy? He said, in light of Christ's second coming, in light of the fact that God is going to judge the living and the dead, this is how you ought to live. So guess what? We haven't moved the finish line. The finish line is still there. And, And the return of Christ represents the end of our earthly finish lines. Amen? You might be young, you might be old, but when Christ returns, it represents the end of your race. How many of you know we don't know exactly when that is coming, but we all could agree, I want to be ready. How about you? And there are certain things in chapter 1 here where Paul is giving a picture of what a healthy church looks like in light of the return of Jesus. What is a healthy church doing? What is a healthy church culture in light of the second coming? All right, so let's take a look there. And it starts off in verse 1, if you'll follow along with me. Starts off in verse 1 by giving a great definition of what the church is. It says here, we're writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong. Everybody say belong. You who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, church isn't brick and mortar. Church isn't putting in your membership card or whatever. Church isn't trying to show up every now and then so pastor doesn't get on your case or you don't backslide or whatever. I mean, you know, church is about belonging. Belonging. It's about being born again. It's about being brought in relationship with God and sharing that relationship with a family. And so let me give you another, this is extra, all right? But if you if you hear candidates say, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm a Christian just like you. Here's the question that's, that you get them with. Oh, really? Who's your pastor? Oh, that is such a good question. Kevin, we've been talking. You, you had a guy that said to you, Oh yeah yeah I go to um uh that church over there on the corner of uh yeah yeah that that yeah that church there yeah who who's your pastor uh yeah, you know what I think they got a new pastor over there, my pastor is I think they got a new pastor over there that I don't have a clue about. how many of you know that candidate is lying liar, liar, pants on fire. You're saying you're a Christian, but you don't have a church. You don't have a pastor. You don't belong to a family, so I'm not voting for you. I'm just trying to help you guys out. When you're born again, this isn't a lone ranger isolation. Live for God. Who's he writing to here? He's writing to the church. He's writing to everybody gathered together to worship Jesus in this city. How many of you know, all Paul's letters are not personal devotional letters. They're letters written to people in relationship to each other and to God in the local church. Don't listen to what your culture tells you. You can go sit out on your golf cart and have an encounter with God. Oh, I just, I look at tulips and I feel spiritual. Who cares? You look at tulips and you feel spiritual. That's not the church. That's not who Paul's writing to. He's not riding to tulip stairs or, you know, laying on the field. I feel so close to God when I lay out in this cow pasture by myself. That's great. But you need to get in relationship with people who love you and who know you and who can help you. All right, I got to get off that track. But anyway, we're, the church is called out from the world. We're called together, and we're called for a divine purpose, a mission from God. How many of you know the church is important to the Lord Jesus Christ? And then he goes on here, and I I just want to say he moves into a a, a series of five E's, E's, letter E's, that are a sign of a healthy church. All right, I'm going to give you the first one. A healthy church is an energetic church. Can you say amen? Amen. Look at verses 2 and 3. Paul says, we always thank God for all of you, and we pray for you constantly. And as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope that you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, an energetic, healthy church is going to be marked by three things. This is part of our culture, all right? When you come to Living Stones, if we're healthy, what are three signs in our culture of health? The first thing would be an active faith, active faith, saving faith, real faith, authentic faith, which means how I many, you know, you find out that your faith is active and real when you face challenges in life that everybody else faces. Amen? When you get confronted with situations, do you freak out? Are you living in fear? Are you living in anxiety? Are you functioning under spirit of rejection? Or are you saying, wait a minute, I have a father in heaven? And you're demonstrating faith in God. How I many, you know, a church that has active faith should be believing God for new things, new vistas, new souls, new fruit, new land, new opportunity, uh, greater impact. Active faith, and we're exercising. It's like a muscle. So a church that's healthy, listen, a church that's healthy is always going to have something that is stretching you. Does that make sense? Marion and I were trying to get these temples back in shape, and, man, I had her doing squats the other day. Oh, wait till you wake up after the next day after you haven't worked some of those muscles. You know what I'm talking about? Doing a little bench pressing. Oh, try to put your shirt on. But how many of you know there's good pain and there's bad pain? If you fall off your house, that's bad pain, all right? You land on your head, your shoulder, that's bad pain. But when you do some squats and you wake up the next morning and you got a little pain there, you're like, yeah. You know why? I was just working some muscles. Muscles are good, trying to keep this body going. You get what I'm talking about. Active faith. Your spiritual faith muscles should feel achy sometimes. This isn't the love boat. It's a battleship. I mean, you know, we fight the good fight of faith. After you fight, sometimes you're like, wow, my cheek hurts. Yeah, because you just got punched, dude. That's why your cheek hurts. You were in a fight. Oh, yeah. Sometimes people go to church and they're like, how come I'm sore? You might be relevant if you're sore. It means you might've gotten in a spat this week with the enemy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Active faith. But this is cool. This is the balance of active faith. It's always expressed in labors of love. Why are we, this culture here, this is a daring love church, right? That's what we're aspiring to be. I see some shirts, daring love t-shirts. We've got that. I mean, I go to the Ming's house. Debbie's got a sign up. Debbie, how awesome. In Debbie's house, you know, they're leading life group over Debbie's door daring love. I said, that is so cool. She said, pastor, I have that there for a reason. It reminds me that every time I'm tired and I want to quit and I don't want people in my house and I don't want to disciple people. I look at that sign and it reminds me, that's what I'm here for. Not comfortable love, convenient love, loving when I have time. No, loving that's daring love, which says I'm going to be available for the kingdom of God, even when it's uncomfortable. So they got that sign over their door. I love that. Because daring love that's rooted and driven in faith will always cause you to reach out and bless people and help people and touch people. Anybody want to be known for that? Now let me get to the third point here. We got active faith and we got this crazy daring love, but then we get to hope. And this is, the, this is a, a critical thing. Have you ever been in church where you've lost your hope? You're believing for something. You're believing for healing or breakthrough or something. And, and you're, you've been fighting a long time. How many of you know, fighting the good fight of faith, you get weary sometimes. Your arms get tired. Or if you're loving people, how many of you have ever been unlovable yourself? I know I have. How many of you have ever tried to love somebody that's like a porcupine or a blowfish? You get close to them, they don't let you near, you know? It's not fun loving blowfish porcupines. I mean, you know, most of the time you go out to work and you're like, I don't want to love those people at work. They're idiots. I know what you're talking about. No, I really don't know what you're talking about. I don't. We don't have any idiots around here that I I love. I love everybody I work with. But I'm trying to feel your pain is what I'm trying to tell you, right? Sometimes we're we're living in a fallen world. I get tired loving people that don't want being loved back. Or they don't love me back. Forget you. No, we're not allowed to do forget you. That's not part of the equation. What we need is hope. It's the hope that all of our love and all of our acts of faith are not in vain. That as we keep loving and keep reaching out and keep obeying and keep trusting God and keep doing what we're called to do, there is an expectation in our hearts that propels us to endure. It's called hope. If we're going to be healthy, we got to have those three things in abundance here. We're going to have faith in God. We're going to keep looking to him. We're going to love well. And we're going to keep believing that those of you who have not yet received your full inheritance, we're going to keep fighting with you until you do. And when your hands are tired and you're weak and you feel like you can't go on, Jay, how many times have we hugged and encouraged each other? Come on, that's what the body of Christ is for. When you're like, my gosh, I tried to love and I got spewed back on. I got vomited back on. I tried to do the right thing and look what happened. Hey, let's wipe the vomit off you, hose you down, put some, you know, perfume on, whatever, and we're going to send you back and love again, because that's the nature of the gospel. This is an energetic church. We're going to do stuff for the kingdom, amen? We're going to touch people. All right, which leads me to my second point. It's an elect church, E-L-E-C-T. So you're going, oh, pastor, are you going to go there in the deepest theological waters of all scripture? Well, just a little bit, but it's in the Bible. How many of you know... uh, The Bible speaks many, many times. In fact, Paul opens his letters and refers to believers as the elect of God, those chosen and called and loved by God. And it's no different here. Look in verse 4. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. I love it. Here's another example. We could have many examples of this language in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Go ahead and look on the screen with me. It says, even before God made the world, he loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided, this is make God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. The only point I want to make here is that part of what fuels us in being uh, driven by faith and driven by hope and driven by love is the knowledge that we didn't think of all this and we didn't start this and we're not responsible for this. God is. This gives me a great sense of comfort. I'm saved because of God. I love God because of God. I am forgiven because of God. I have a passion in my heart for God because of God. I'm here with all of you, and you're here with me because of God. This is no accident. Living Stones is here because it was God's idea. It wasn't our idea. It was God's idea. God apprehended my mom and dad. How many of you know when you understand that what you're doing, you didn't initiate, you're just participating with the God who did, it gives you crazy love, faith, and hope? I'm going to say that again. I am not doing what I am doing out of my own initiative. I am a man that's been apprehended. How about you? I am on assignment. How about you? I'm part of a bigger plan. How about you? I'm part of a kingdom that can never be destroyed. How about you? I'm part of a winning team with God. How about you? I know where I'm going. And listen, all the resources I need to successfully finish the race God is the one that authored this thing and God, the Bible says, is the one who's going to finish it. See, knowing that you're part of the elect of God, you're adopted into his family. How I many of you know when any any family in this place that's ever adopted a child, did the child have input? No. Normally the child just laid in their crib, minding their own business, wishing somebody would come and adopt them. Adoption means parents were moved and felt compassion and out of their own volition, out of no duty or obligation, they simply said, I am going to release our affections on this child and bring this child into our family. And this child will have the full rights of being in our family. The Bible says you were adopted by God. He reached out and apprehended you. That's why these songs, you know, About choosing God, I chose God, I found God. You're a you're like a blind squirrel trying to find a nut in the desert. Are you crazy? God found you. God apprehended you. God overcame you. Thank God. See what that does is it frees us up. Says in our we're not pushing something here. We're trying to get to move. We're part of a movement that God started. You understand the theological implications of this? You can either try to live your Christian life as best as you can. Try, 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 try. Or just jump on a wave of what God is doing and follow and move with the sovereign creator of the universe. That's the, my choice right there, all right? That's the kind of church I'm gonna be a part of. This is God's business. I sleep well at night. It's God's business. Energetic, it's an elect church. Number three, it's an exemplary church. Look with me at verses five through seven. For when we brought brought the good news, Paul says, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance, that's a good phrase, full assurance, that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Verse six, so you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of severe suffering the severe suffering that it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, listen to this, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. Now, let me pull out a few principles here. What does an exemplary church look like? First of all, I want you to see that the gospel should never come in words only. I swear at some churches, you think you're like it's, an, it's a historical society. All you're doing is reading stories in the Bible about what God used to do. How many of you know God's not in retirement? How many of you know we're not just sitting reading stories about what God used to do a long, long time ago like their bedtime stories? God is writing stories through you and I today. God is moving sovereignly today. God is healing people today. God is doing the miraculous today. God is not weak in his demonstration of his power. God is not changed. When the gospel comes in an exemplary church, it leaves a mark on you. It comes in word and it comes in power. And I want you to see those two always go together. God's word has power. The Holy Spirit has power. And it's like a defibrillator. You got two pads. Someone's out, man, code blue. What do you do? You got the word and you got the spirit, the spirit and the power. Boom. And guess what? Life happens in your heart. And it comes, check this out. Everybody in this church should know that you're born again. Every person in this church should have beyond a shadow of a doubt. If I asked you, are you saved? If if your day were to come today, are you going to spend eternity with Christ? You should have a sense of full assurance. Why, pastor? Well, number one, if you go up to any of my kids and say, is that your dad? I hope they don't. Well, you know what? I think so. I don't really feel like it today. Of course, we're living in a strange feel-good culture, are we not? You can can feel like whatever you want to be. If you want to be a unicorn and use the unicorn bathroom, you can be a unicorn. Whatever you want to be, it's all about your feelings. No, it's not about your feelings. There's objective reality. I am these kids' dad. On good days, I'm their dad. On bad days, I'm their dad. But there should never be a question in their mind. Is that my dad? Yes, that's my dad. Why should we have a question with our Heavenly Father? Is he your dad? Are you born again? Does the Spirit of the Living God live in you? Yeah. Then you have full assurance based on the reality of an encounter with Christ that you are born again and that you belong to God. End of discussion. I had a, uh, I had an interesting, interesting uh, situation in college with one of my baseball players. We were having this late night discussion on a road trip. And this is what he told me. He says, I never go to bed at night without begging God to show me is there anything I've ever done wrong that I've not asked for forgiveness for because if I go to sleep and God were to come, I know I would go straight to hell. How would you like to live under that? How many of you know we're not even really all that sophisticated when we sin? I probably sin a million times. I'm not even aware of it because I'm too dense and sinful. I'm too sinful to recognize my sin. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, sometimes it's pretty obvious. Other times it's subtle. I'd be going straight to hell and guess what? You would too. And so would every human being. Aren't you grateful that our sonship is not dependent upon my righteousness, but upon his righteousness? So there needs to be full assurance And how do we have full assurance? How do we know that we're really born again? Listen, there's one key word. It's called change. (laughs) Change. I used to be a liar. Now I'm not. I used to be selfish. It was all about me. Now I'm not. I used to be greedy. Now I'm generous. Does this make sense? I used to be nasty. Now I'm kind. You used to be fearful. Now I walk in faith. How do you know you're saved? Look in the stinking mirror. Or better yet, ask a close friend. Because <laughs> we're so self-deceived, are we not? No, we're not that pretty. Ask your wife. Ask your kids. They'll tell you the truth. You see, when we're born again, God brings the assurance because at the core of our being, everything gets turned upside down and inside out. And we begin to have new desires, new affections for the Lord. What else is exemplary about this church? Notice their lives. Paul says our lives were marked by love and authenticity. He said that they saw that the concern that they had. They saw the way that they lived. How many of you want to be a church where people look at us and they say, you know, those people living songs, they're authentic. You know, when you see them out there, they're not different from what they are in here. I've heard Christians say, you know, I know I don't want to put a Livingstone's license plate on my car. Think about it. That's because the devil's behind your wheel when you pull out of the church parking lot. Just think about it. All right. Love and authenticity. What we say and the way we live is really how we are. We don't put on a show. We don't hide behind a mask when we're in church and then we're somewhere somewhere else out there, all right? Love and authenticity. How about this one? Joy in the midst of suffering. I mean, you know, there's suffering because of stupidity and sin, and we've all been guilty of that. I've heard people say, oh, my life is so miserable. Well, then you get talking about, well, tell me about your life. Well, no wonder your life is miserable. You're living in disobedience with God, and the devil's beating your brains out. Of course your life is miserable. Stop it. Stop living that way. I mean, you know, obedience is a good thing. But you know, how many of you know there's suffering we go through because we're obedient? And the Bible says rejoice when that happens in your life. Rejoice. Man, that is awesome. Like, Jesus went through that. Yeah, I get to be counted worthy. Yeah, that's what it's talking about here. They They received the message, and the message... Brought them suffering. Isn't that amazing? And yet they received it with joy. You know, we go to places in the world where when the message comes, it's the message of good news, of great joy for all peoples. That's the gospel. But it comes with great attack attached to it because of the culture and because people there hate God and hate the gospel. But they their lives were marked with great joy because of Jesus Christ. All right, I'm moving on here. You guys are talking way too much. All right. Notice here they had an imitation of godly leadership. Paul says, be followers of me as I follow Christ. And it says here they imitated both us and the Lord. How many of you want to get to a place of spiritual maturity when you can actually turn to a younger believer and say, hang out with me. Hang out with me. Watch the way I live. Watch how I treat my wife. Watch how I parent. Watch how I live for God. And I promise you, you'll have the same fruit. I mean, that's a good deal. How many of you when you're young in the Lord would like to have somebody take you under their wing and they could say, follow me as I follow Christ? That's not arrogance. That's called spiritual maturity. And how many of you know, again, it takes maturity to be able to say, hey, I want to submit my life to that person because I have much to learn from them and I want to glean from them as they're following Christ. That's also smart. This thing of rebelliousness, no one's going to tell me what to do. That's not part of an exemplary church. You've got to get plugged in. You've got you to let people minister. You've got to let people into your world. You've got to get help. You've got to learn. Uh, none of us knows it all. Amen? So find people that are walking in certain ways that you say, I want to learn how to live like that and, and follow them and learn from them. And this is what I love. They were examples throughout an entire region and throughout the world. This world word example in the Greek is an amazing word. It means to strike repeatedly. And the picture here is of a stamp that is being struck into a die. How many of you know when you when you form a die? Whenever whenever you take that and you hammer that into it, leaves the same mark everywhere you hammered it. You know, everywhere you pound it. All right, it's it's it, it's leaving an impression. And the the idea here behind this word is that we're, we're literally becoming a figure, a copy. A pattern or the word that I like is a template. This church was a template. A template, you know, is something you lay down and you, and you use it as a guide. You cut things out and you draw things, whatever. It's the right size. Uh, it's a template. That church was a template. They were known in their region for certain things. Let me ask you this question. What do you guys want to be known for? Let me tell you what I hear we're known for. I hear this every time we do a new members class. I hear this. You know, I love living stones because I love the worship. It's intense and it's passionate and it's real. How many of you want to have a reputation for being worshipers of Jesus? Or how about this one? I hear this one a lot. You know, when I came to the church, I felt very loved. People reached out to me. They were very kind and gracious. I I felt like I belonged. How many know that's a great reputation? Or how about this one? You know, I was desperate and my body was broken. I needed healing. I had a serious situation I was facing and I needed help. And I heard that this church has a reputation for the power of God, that God actually moves and heals people in that church. Or how about this? I was oppressed by the enemy. My mind was tormented. I haven't been able to shake depression. But I heard that if I go to that church and I am with those people, I can get delivered from whatever it is that's oppressing me. Or how about this? You know, I love the young people over at that church, the way they love God and the fellowship that they have and the the way that they're uh, engaged in their community. I want to go to that church because I want my young people to be a part of that church. Or how about our children's ministry and the passion that they're having in worshiping God, not just coloring uh, in the lines, but having an encounter with God as children. Uh, What do you want to be known for, church? Listen, communities have a way of hearing things. We got a call one time, I've told this story. Someone said, I was calling your church because I had a prayer request and I know that God answers your prayers. Well, guess what? We don't have a special God card for answered prayer, but how I many you know we do have prayer warriors at this place? And if you call us, we won't just tell you, oh yeah, we'll pray for you and we won't pray for you. That's not just a religious thing. If you call and you have a prayer need, guess what? You're going to be on Chris Krause's prayer list, and she's going to disseminate that to all the prayer warriors. And let me just tell you this. You're going to be prayed for. How about a reputation for prayer? How about a reputation for going to the nations of the world? How about a reputation for getting involved and in providing answers to our culture? I mean, you know, these are great things to have a reputation for. And how about this? How about if we summarize like this? How about a reputation in hell? I mean, Paul had a reputation in hell. They were all talking about him. They all knew who he was. I don't know about you, but there's two things I want to have. I want to be put on the right-wing watch by the ACLU or People United for the Separation of Church and State. I want to make their list of dangerous people. I want to be there someday. That's my goal. And I want to be on Satan's list for people he doesn't like. All right? Those are my two biggies. Either one, they're interchangeable, but um, (laughs) that's my my desire. (laughs) Because listen, when you're on somebody's list, it means you have a reputation. If you don't have a reputation, it means you're like vanilla. Now, some of you I know like vanilla. We had a milkshake shop in off the campus at Taylor University that has over 100 different kinds of milkshakes. Now, do you know what the cardinal sin is in my mind? Is to go there and order a vanilla shake. Are you nuts? There's 100 kinds of milkshakes to eat. You could spend almost a year trying every one and you order vanilla. Um, here's my point. Don't be a vanilla Christian. How about this? Be Rocky Road or something like that, all right? Be something decadent, delicious, over the top, lots of calories, nuts, be nuts. (laughs) None of this was in my notes. I don't know what happened. Anyway, all right. Be an example and let's help you create a reputation for God and for the glory of God in this place. That's my point. Number four, be an evangelistic church. It says the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia, for wherever we go. people We find people telling us about your faith in God. Let's let the word of God ring out from this place, wherever we go. You know, Scott and Kathy and Heart for the Next Generation, we're just in Charleston working with you guys uh, out in front of the abortion mill there. What was happening? The testimony of Christ was ringing out. Every week we got our young people and and mature people out here in our own town. What's happening? The testimony of the good news of Christ is reaching out. Everywhere we go, echoing forth from our lives, resounding from our lives, the good news, the, the, the great God who brings great joy to all people. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen. Everywhere we go. And that was the testimony of this church. It's a reputation that you have for being a life-giving people, a daring love kind of people. And let me end with this, number five. It was an expectant church. Look at verses 9 and 10. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And it says, verse 10, they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus whom he raised from the dead. There it is, whom he raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us. Listen to this, and I hope this puts a sense of sobriety in you. He has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. What a sobering, sobering passage of scripture. Let's take a look at this. First of all, he says they've turned from idols. How many of you know it's impossible to look forward to anything if you're focused on the past and you're still trapped in sin? I remember Tony Liquor gave a great example in his own life how he said he was so weighted down with sin, and all he could see was like, he said he felt like a chicken. All he could do was peck on the ground and trying to find some bits and scraps. He was so weighted down with his sin. And then Jesus came along and lifted all all that off of him, and he got forgiven, and he broke the chains and broke the habits. And check this out. For the first time in his life, he said he was able to actually stand upright and look into the sky. How many of you know you can either function like a chicken pecking at the ground under the weight of your sins, or you can get free, and you can begin to say, the sky is the limit to what God can do in my life. Isn't that the truth? The sky is the limit. You cannot look forward with excitement to the second coming of Jesus if your life is full of shame. Isn't that the truth? If you know, if, if I were to tell you right now, oh, God, by the way, Jesus, he came back, he's in that room, and we're going to have you all line up, and he wants to see each one of you. How many of you know the altar would be full right now? Because some of you are going, I ain't going in that room. I'm not ready. You've got to turn from idols before you can be ready. You can't bring your idols with you. Imagine dragging all your idols in to see Jesus. (laughs) Oops. You know, you're hiding. You're not going to have any idols. At least you shouldn't, because Jesus isn't competing with any idols. You with me? So you have to turn from your idols, and then you can begin to look with great expectation on the future God has for you, including the second coming. But I want to drive this home. Last point. I'm going to shut up. Last point. I want to look at this phrase, the terrors of the coming judgment, or the King James Version says, of the wrath to come. This word in the Greek is an amazing word. When we talk about the wrath of God, it, it means that God's wrath has literally been swelling like a rising tide. And it's rising up from ongoing, fixed opposition to sin. And this is a picture I want you to get. Sometimes as earthly parents, have any of you ever just had it up to here and finally you just go, and you act like a demonized person in front of your family. Have you ever done that? I know none of you have. Um, But I have. When you hear, Shut up! (laughs) I'm going to kill you! Any of you ever had that moment? Okay. I had it on a somewhat regular basis, depending on the season of my life. All right. That is not a godly model. The second coming is not like this where God just goes, I've had it. I'm gonna kill everybody. You're all going to hell. No, that's not the second coming. God is not an emotional basket case, all right? He's not going to vomit on us. He's not like, I can't take it anymore. No, the picture is this. God is fixed and consistent and passionate in his hatred for sin. And how many of you know, the only thing that's saving planet Earth right now is the long-suffering and mercy of God. Does anybody think America is, a, is slightly overdue of a serious spanking? Every day I wake up, I'm just amazed in the mercy of God. I mean, when we look at the abortion holocaust, when we look at the bloodshed on our hands, when we look at the crazy stuff that's happening in our culture right now, that's just an absolute affront to God Almighty. I just wonder, I wake up in the morning, my eyes open up, I'm just like, wow, another day. The mercy of God. But the Bible says the day is coming in God's perfect time when the the swelling of His wrath has reached a place where the end of history comes. And at that point, it says the terror of His wrath is going to be unleashed. Oh, what a sobering passage. Just meditate on that for a moment. And I'll tell you what, it'll do two things. It'll make you get rid of some idols, and it will make you so incredibly grateful for Jesus and for the cross and for the shed blood. Are you with me? And it will put in you a sense of awe and gratitude that God has called you to himself and invited you to his family. And how about this? And given us a mission for this time in history to be a church that's marked by Love and faith and hope and a church whose testimony spreads out around the whole community that everybody hears the greatness of our God. And in the midst of sometimes chaos, we can still be happy. See, I'm a happy guy. I'm not, I don't read the newspaper and go, oh, oh, the Antichrist has got to be around the corner. Oh, oh, oh. No, I don't do that. I don't do that. God is on his throne. God is moving history according to His purpose. It's His story. History, His story. And He's in charge. I'm with Him. He wins. I win. He's happy. I'm happy. He's going to take care of all the bad guys. I'm cool with that. I'm going to stay joyful in the midst of suffering. I'm going to stay confident and full of hope and and full of expectation. And guess what? I'm going to keep dishing out the love. Because you know what? He dished out that love for me. Amen? Amen? And I'm going to be a happy warrior. I'm not going to sit back, though, and just say, man, I'm waiting. I ain't moving till he comes. Nope, not going to do that. We're going to build stuff. We're going to reach people. We're going to expand our influence for the glory of God. We're going to go to more nations. We're going to be involved in more campaigns. We're going to love more broken, hurting people locally. We're going to see ministries spring up. Who knows what God wants to do? We're going to be furiously busy until he comes. Amen but he is coming. And the good news is when he comes, we'll stop being busy. I'm putting my shovel down. I'm taking off my boxing gloves. No, I'm not punching anybody. I'm not going to fight another devil in my life. Are you hearing what I am saying? I'm going to chill out. I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat food that will not go to my waistline forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And ever. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Come on, we're going to part. Have you ever thought about that? We're going to be able to eat and enjoy heaven. And I guarantee you there will not be anybody that has high blood pressure or or none of that kind of stuff going on. I mean, I'm talking about good stuff. So this is what motivates us to finish well. Amen? So do this with me. Let's develop a reputation in this community. (laughs) Let's develop a reputation, a kingdom reputation, for loving well, for touching as many people as we can, and for seeing the greatness of God displayed through a bunch of people who are just waiting with great anticipation for when he comes and brings an end to human history as we know it. Amen? A couple of things. Greg came up to me today. Well, you said two years ago, Greg? Two years ago, this season, he was diagnosed with serious, serious cancer. And you know what? God healed him, and he's free, And he, but he remembers. Um, I know there's some serious prayer requests. we got people battling uh, bad diagnoses, you know, maybe accurate diagnoses on one level, but they're not good reports, people that need healing. Please come up. If you're here today, and and the question that I asked you about assurance and knowing that you're saved. If you don't know, but you want to know, you can leave here today and know that you're a son or daughter of the Most High God. Come on up. We want to pray for you, all right? If anybody has any kind of prayer need, that's why we're here. We're here to love you, to encourage you, to stand with you. So we'll have our leadership team. In fact, if you guys want to make your way up here, I want you all to stand to your feet, and we're going to pray. I love you guys. Great being your pastor, and I love having you part of our family here. Let's make a name for Jesus through our radical love and faith and hope, all right? Lord, thanks for this church here. Thank you for bringing us together, God. It's you're doing. Thank you for the for the influence that you're building and the impact that you're extending from this place. And God, we pray for some of the things in front of us. We pray for the primary on on uh, Thursday or Tuesday rather. Lord, we know it's important. We know the lots at stake so we don't look to them as Savior, but we look to you, but we also pr- pray and ask you that you'd give us godly leadership in this nation once again. Lord, we ask you to bless us as we leave this place today, and as we take the gospel out, that we would be authentic lovers of Jesus, that we'd share, we'd touch, we'd encourage, we'd we'd bring the good news of the gospel everywhere we go. And Lord, I pray that you would capture the hearts of those who are yours even here this morning, so those that maybe have never bowed their knee, but Lord, this is their Sunday, This is this is their time, this is... You're reaching out and grabbing them and saying, today is the day. Lord, we pray for salvation to continue to spring up through our lives and in this place and all the gatherings, Lord. We pray for salvation. We pray that this church would be a great well of hope for everybody in this region and for the nations of the world that you allow us to touch. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We give you praise now. We ask you to bless our, our weak. Use us mightily. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.